welcome to the Horses and Life podcast. It is summertime in Missouri. I'm going to quickly run through my list of upcoming events so you know what I have coming up and then uh, we'll go on from there. Next weekend, I think from the time you guys will hear this, it'll still be next weekend, August 16 through 18, I'll have a clinic in Lone Jack, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. And there is information on my website and on Facebook. It's going to be at Sitter Downs Arena. A good friend of mine, Kelly. You can contact her as well and she can get you the information. And then after that, we'll have the KC Ranch Horse Classic, which is a ranch horse competition and a horse auction that I help with. And I'll be putting on a little demonstration there in between the two. That'll be August 31st. The day after that, I will hustle it over to Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'll have a clinic Sunday and Monday, which is September 1st and 2nd in Indianapolis, uh, Fortville, Indiana to be exact. Once again, all the information's on my website and on Facebook, Cal Middleton Horsemanship. You can find out all the info there. And then after that, I'll be heading on to Pennsylvania, and we'll be getting ready for the ranch clinic, which starts September 17th. And that is 10 days long, and we've got a lot of exciting stuff going on. So if you haven't heard about that, get on there and check it out. And we still have room available. So I hope a few more of you can decide to make it on out. Okay. A lot of fun stuff going on right now. I just did a cool interview with, I don't know if it was a cool interview, but it was with a lady that seemed pretty cool. Uh, She was in New Zealand. And she has a TV show and a podcast, and I did an interview with her the other night. She interviewed me, so I was on her TV show in New Zealand, and I think that'll be airing soon. For a lot of you that are interested, I'll get you the information. You can watch it. Uh, Nothing special. I'm just sitting there talking. But for those of you that don't know me or anything about me, they might get a chance kind of to have the microphone turned around, and she's kind of asking questions about me and what I do and stuff like that, so... For those of you guys that know me well, you might think, well, I don't really care about that. I want to hear about the people that Cal's interviewing. So that's fine too. I will probably get her on my podcast when I have time as well. Got a couple more podcast guests coming up and we're going to check in with one next week. I think I'll be interviewing somebody that I interviewed early on and check in and uh, see what they have going on. So anyway, today's guest, I'm happy to get a chance to uh, let you guys hear the story about Jace Tingler. Jace is a guy that I, I kind of grew up with. Uh, he was in my brother's class in uh, school in Smithville, Missouri, just here north of Kansas City. He's always uh, a phenomenal athlete, and everybody knew from the time he was young that he was probably going to uh, go far one day. Nobody really knew how far. But as a lot of you know, there's a lot of people that have those same thoughts about a lot of young kids. And uh, a lot of young kids uh, don't go as far as people hope. And sometimes I think it's because uh, people hope too much or hope for the wrong things. Jace is one of those guys that continued on in his passion, and I'm uh, happy to uh, be able to catch up with him the way I did. Jace's family has always been involved around the school district here where I grew up, and both of his parents were my teachers, and just the kind of family that I always enjoyed being around. And Both of them were, were definitely some of my... If I had to look back and pick four or five teachers that made an impact or that I really enjoyed being around, both of his parents were on that list for sure. So anyway, it was good to catch up with him and I won't waste any more of your time talking about it because you're about to listen to it. Without further ado, I bring you Jace Tingler. Okay, here I am in Arlington, Texas. 
with my friend Jace Tingler. Jace, thanks for being on the podcast. A, great seeing you. And then B, this is my first podcast, so hopefully I'm not too nervous and we do all right. Well, you've been in front of a crowd a time or two, so you know how to handle that. Yeah, we'll see how we do. So, Jace, let's just start out. There's so many things I want to get to today, but tell us a little bit about Smithville, Missouri, and kind of starting out there and how some of that started. Of course, that's how you and I got to know each other way back. And you and my brother were in the same grade, and you guys were good friends. And tell us a little bit about those days. Yeah. Smithville, A, it's home. It's where I grew up, as you know. Still live there today. And that's where my wife's from, Callie. And that's where we choose to raise our boys. Obviously, working down here in Texas, um, in Arlington, it's been tempting at times to, is it easier? Hey, move the family down here, put the kids up in school. But at the end of the day, Smithville's home for me. It's home for my wife. Her parents are there. My parents are there. And both of us went to school there. And we think it's incredibly important to have our kids there as well and and want our kids to have the same experience that both me and you had growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Smithfield's changing. Yeah, it is. It's not the town of 2000 when we grew up. I don't know what it is now. 12, 15,000 and new houses are going up left and right. I appreciate change. I appreciate growth, but there's a sense of, I guess that feel of everybody knows everybody in the town. That's probably not accurate anymore. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. It was kind of cool. I have to admit last night, I, for you listeners, I Jace got me a ticket last night and I got to come in here and watch the game and and I go to the seat. I'm just right on time because I worked horses all morning down in Bastrop, Texas. And I drove up here and I'm kind of trying to find the seat. And the first pitch is just being thrown. And there's a lady sitting in my seat. And I was kind of trying to be nice, thinking, well, maybe I can sit next to her. And then I look over and it's Jace's mom, who was my PE teacher in high school. Says, Mrs. Tingler, how are you? And she says, well, hi. Of course, I haven't seen her for, I was thinking, probably 17, 18 years since I was in high school. But anyway, it was funny. And then, of course, your dad was there too. So it was a lot of fun seeing them. But hopefully, rudely, you kicked him out of their seat. <laughs> no. Out of your seat. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. When I realized who it was, I just sat down next to him, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so, of course, I've known you my whole life, but let's face it. It's not like you and I have hung out a lot, just you and I a lot, of course. But I've known your family, of course, your parents. I remember both of them distinctly. So your mom was PE teacher. I don't know how her and Rod Hart got along perfectly for so many years, but that always made me laugh. They were kind of, they were kind of, they're, they're like best friends. Yeah, they're like best <laughs> friends and extreme opposites, right? He's this huge man. It's really funny. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in my grade that scored a point on her in badminton. Well, you may be the only person in history to score a point <laughs> on her in uh, badminton because I know my class sure didn't. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody from my, probably Ricky or somebody will call me up and go, no, I scored a point too. But no, and let's face it, at that time, I'll put this as delicately as I can. She wasn't a first year teacher. It wasn't like she was just out of college doing that. And she was athletic. She was kicking everybody's butts in anything we did, basketball, badminton, everything, man. Yeah, that's my mom. And even to this day, she's still active. She was running a lot of miles. This was a while ago, probably nine years ago before our wedding. She was running so much, she ended up breaking her hip. And so she had to have surgery. Obviously, she can't run anymore. But now she goes up to Smithville Lake quite a bit, does a lot of biking. So activity and moving around is that's all I've ever known my mom as. That's great. And of course, she was a basketball coach at high school and was very successful there in the state of Missouri. Your dad was a coach, softball and other things as well. Your dad was my I guess it would have been social studies teacher in I think my sophomore year or maybe freshman year. I remember one thing about him. He was the one that he had a cardboard cutout of James Dean. And, of course, in the cardboard cutout, it was from a picture, of course, James Dean had a cigarette in his hand. Well, he was in public school, so what your dad did was he put white out all over the cigarette 
And he told us, did you guys know he was a teacher? Look at him holding a chalk, holding a little <laughs> piece of chalk right there. So he always made class fun. I always loved your folks and uh, got to do that. And you've got a brother, Jared. Yep, Jared. And he's living in Smithville as well with his wife, Susan, and has a daughter, L, baby L. And he's working at UPS, and both my uh, brother and, I guess, sister-in-law, Season, they both help mom and dad coach softball up at Smithville still to this day. That's great. That's great. So I always felt, even though I never got to hang out with your brother a whole lot, I always felt a connection with your brother because he also had an older brother who was a great athlete. And I always felt a little bit like him Him and I could always kind of see eye to eye on a lot of things and how that felt for a while because I know how it is kind of having an older brothers that are shadowing you and as far as what you're doing out there in the athletics. So it was pretty cool. Okay, so bring us a little bit to where we are today here now. You went on to college at Missouri University and played some baseball there and and then you worked your way up. So tell us a little bit about your story now. Sure. I got drafted out of the University of Missouri in the 10th round in 2003 and I guess like probably like most players that get drafted, you get big visions ahead. Like you're going to go, you're going to go play pro ball, not spend much time in the minor leagues. You're going to end up playing in the major leagues. And so anyway, get drafted, play a couple years, quickly kind of figure out coming from Smithville, coming from Missouri. I'm usually one of the fastest guys on the field, one of the better players show up start playing and I was just like blown away with like how good everybody was. I had some okay years, never great, but never bad enough to get released. So I was kind of like in the middle ground. The highest level I got up to was double A in 2006. And that's when I started to kind of realize like I probably need to start figuring out I can either stick with this Try to stick with this, maybe in a perfect scenario, get a cup of coffee, which means get up to the big leagues, play a couple games, but I was probably going to be like a minor league guy. But what I noticed was being around the field, being around players, a lot of players were coming, they were asking for help. And I like teaching, I like coaching. And so, you know, I started to think both my parents are coaches, uncle's a coach, just I come from a family of coaches and was like, I want to try to coach. So I talked to our farm director, who was Scott Service at the time. He's currently the manager of the Seattle Mariners. And I asked if he had any opportunity with the Texas Rangers to coach. And he said, well, we just opened a academy in the Dominican Republic, which is basically we sign 16-year-olds from either the Dominican, Venezuela, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Latin America. And we have a uh, academy down in the Dominican, and they play a season down there. And he goes, would you have any interest in doing that? Well, at the time, I still needed three classes to finish my college degree, and they happened to be Spanish one, two, and three. And I said, you know what? I'll take a chance. I'll go down there for six months and give it a shot. I'd like to also take online classes and start my Spanish one. So that six-month little gig ended up being a three-year gig. I went down there. I fell in love with the complex. I fell in love with the players that we were signing, and I really enjoyed coaching. So I started as a hitting coach, worked my way up, managed for two years in 2008, 2009 down there, and kind of transitioned into coaching. And I think overall, it kind of helped my overall career just because I had to figure things out, and I had to figure things out in a second language. And so being able to be an American and speak some Spanish to get by with young Latin American players, I think that was kind of a big boost for me. Yeah, I bet. 
and you probably helped you out with your Spanish classes. Yeah, I used, uh, I hope none of the professors are listening, but I did have my first baseman come and help me with uh, several assignments. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, but either way, you learn how to speak Spanish. Yeah, that was such like a fun process. And the most frustrating thing is you spend down there, this was 10 years ago, and I became pretty fluent with the Spanish. And then over life happens, you move to the States and the higher up you go, well, the majority of the Dominican Venezuelan players here, now that they're in the major leagues, they all speak English. And so I probably lost a lot of that over the last couple of years. So I go out of my way and I tell the guys like, hey, no disrespect. I know you guys speak English, but like I'm going to speak Spanish to you. And it's not because I don't think you guys understand. It's for me to practice. They're all great with it because they've been through the process of knowing what it's like to learn a, a second language, obviously, with English for them. So I enjoy that aspect to it. And they make fun of me for all the mistakes I make with my grammar and pronunciation and all that. But it's good. It's just a way to learn. Right, right, for sure. So then after the Dominican, you got called up here to Arlington, Texas. Uh, what, this is your third, fourth year? So, yeah, my first year was in 2015. And I spent probably eight or nine years in the minor league system doing different things from field coordinator. I managed one year in Arizona rookie ball. I was an outfield coordinator, hitting coordinator. I've done several different roles. And then first year coaching in the major leagues, 2015-16. And then in 17 and 18, I moved to the front office to be the assistant GM to oversee the minor league side. And so the last couple of years was a very good experience being on the front office side. I learned a lot. But what I found is I find myself more as a coach. I like being around young people. I've been like energized. So this year I moved back to a major league coach. And so far I'm having just an absolute blast with it. I'm learning. I'm growing a lot. I've challenged myself in like several different areas to grow. And so I'm really enjoying it, even though we're only 16, 17 games through the season. Yeah, yeah. Well, last night was a fun game to watch. Yeah, so we were hoping we were going to get the rain in. For people who don't know, we were supposed to have golf ball size hail at about game time. So we didn't think we were going to play, but the storm held off, and we ended up winning 5-4. to four, And we start the year 10-7, and seven, and we're off to a pretty good start with a group of We've got some young players on the team that we're hoping can take a step in their development. And if they continue to do that, we got a chance to be a pretty good ball club. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So baseball has always been your passion. I mean that as a question, but you were quite an athlete in numerous sports growing up. Tell us a little bit about your basketball career. Yeah. So as we talked earlier, both parents are coaches. Mom was a basketball coach for, I think it was 30 years at Smithfield. Dad coached uh, basketball at West Platte, which is where he started before he came to Smithville. And so I grew up in a gym, didn't have a lot of babysitters growing up. So when mom had basketball practice or dad had basketball practice, that's usually where I was. So kind of grew up in a gym, played a lot of basketball. We had some pretty good teams like in high school. I had maybe a little bit of opportunity to play at the college level and kind of going around to different colleges or whatever, I started to notice I was kind of the only five foot eight Caucasian guy. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm pretty limited here. And that's when I kind of maybe invested a little bit more in baseball, maybe understood that if I wanted to stay around the game a little bit longer, baseball was probably the avenue to go to. Yeah. So just to tell you listeners a little bit, so Jason and I were kind of on opposite 
timelines in high school. Of course, I wrestled, and he played basketball. And then in the fall, I was playing football, and you were doing fall baseball a lot, I think, right, when we were growing up. And then in the spring, of course, you were playing baseball. And springtime, like my high school career and even younger, felt like I was in a gym and wrestling pretty much all winter. Like I was in a building that seemed like all winter long, right, just like you guys playing basketball. And then when springtime came, I was gone. Like I was outside. I was riding horses. I was out doing my thing all the time. So I got to watch you play baseball a little bit, but really not that much. I know I watched you play basketball quite a lot. And Jace is being pretty modest on saying that they had some good teams and that they did pretty good. But, I mean, he was one of the best basketball players in the state of Missouri and probably other places as well. And I remember my freshman, sophomore year, I was at Northeastern Oklahoma A&M in college, and you would have been two years ahead of me, and you were at Mizzou playing baseball. And I remember watching the Mizzou basketball team and thinking, Jace is better than that guy. Why didn't he, why didn't he go play basketball also in Missouri? He could have a little better chance at winning some games. You know, we had Wesley Stokes playing and some of those guys. And anyway, I remember thinking, was there some thought at that time to maybe play some basketball in, in college as well? It kind of gone through my head a little bit, especially when like Wesley Stokes went out with like a knee injury and things like that. And I think like the reality was it's probably like two years kind of removed from playing a lot of basketball. We did some pickup games and we would run at the rec center with a couple of the basketball players on the team. I think like the reality was being two years removed, I was probably a, a little bit like too far behind to, to jump in. At the time, it was the Big 12 and try to compete there. I was struggling enough to keep my head above water on the baseball field. So it probably ended up was the right decision to stay with baseball overall. Yeah, yeah, overall. Well, I know it was a lot of fun. Of course, you and Gabe and Ryan and Cameron and Randy and Jeff and some of those guys growing up playing. And it seemed like there was just the next generation of all the little brothers of most of those guys I just named were all on my team. And so it was definitely a lot of fun. It's great to see somebody like you that we all grew up playing together with. And then here you are at the here we are at the Texas Rangers Stadium checking out, which, by the way, if you guys, if you didn't catch that, I'm probably put it in the intro later, but we're recording this here in the coach's office at the Texas Rangers Stadium, so that's really cool. Yeah, we picked a great day. We've got the off day, so nobody comes in, so we've got the place to ourselves. We can kind of do whatever we yeah, want. It's, it's usually <laughs> the one day he doesn't come here, probably, and I'm like, hey, you want to do it there? He's like, sure. So I remember so many little things. Growing up, getting to watch you guys play was just a lot of fun. And like I said, it's just really cool kind of having you here. So tell us a little bit about your college career, your guys' teams. You had some good teams. I know you had some All-American honors and some things like that. I know you had a lot of success. That had been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think at the University of Missouri, we did. We had some good teams, had some really good players. I got to play alongside. Ryan Stiegel was probably, in my opinion, maybe the best shortstop the University of Missouri has maybe had. He's currently the head baseball coach at Liberty North now, but there's been a lot of guys that kind of come through that have had good major league careers. Ian Kinsler, I played with him my senior year, and obviously he's had, I don't know what it is now, 13, 14 years in the major leagues at a very like successful run. And then kind of after I left, they went on a run of having major league pitchers. Max Scherzer is probably the biggest name, but Nick Tepish, Kyle Gibson, Aaron Crow for the Kansas City people all kind of came out of the University of Missouri, either at the end of my time there or right after. Sean Markham's another guy that was there for a brief period who's had like a major league career. So the University of Missouri has done a pretty good job of producing some major league baseball players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So after you went from Missouri, you went to the Dominican straight away? I went to, I was in Pulaski, Virginia. I played rookie baseball there. And the next 
couple years I spent in the Florida State League in Dunedin, Florida for a couple years. Your brother actually came down and visited for a trip and a couple of the Smithville boys came down. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I was rule five, basically traded over to Texas Rangers. I spent half a year in Bakersfield, California, and then got promoted to Frisco, Texas, which was double A for the Texas Rangers at the time. So it was a quick four years playing minor league ball. And then I transitioned into coaching and it's been kind of a a long journey through the coaching ranks to be where I'm at here today. Yeah, that's cool. So back to the game a little bit last night or some of the things that you have going on currently. So I talked to your folks a little bit and I asked them about some of the places they've got to see you play or places they've been. And I said, what was one of the most exciting places? Of course, they didn't have a lot of visiting to do. They were watching the game last night, right? (laughs) They were locked in. They were locked in, but I tried to ask them a little bit. and, And they mentioned that the only place they didn't really get to see you play was Southeast Missouri because there wasn't a plane to go there very easy and it was always a weeknight and they couldn't really get to the games they were at, but they got to watch on the internet. So they've seen most of your games through college and, and everything else. That's pretty cool to have supportive parents that are interested in what you're doing. Yeah, it was a real blessing. I don't think at the time when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, you probably don't truly like appreciate it. But then like looking back, it was, they were there kind of all the moments. They made time. They changed their schedule. They were always there, whether I was playing or whether I was sitting the bench or whatever, just to have that support, that love, which was probably, a, it's a huge thing because there's so much failure. There's so much failure like in this game of baseball. And so to get picked up, to have support, keep you moving forward, looking back, it was really important. And of course, I think Southeast Missouri, I'm not a big guy, I'm not a power guy. That was the only place. I hit my only college home run at Southeast Missouri, and I think it was the only game or one of the couple only games my parents weren't at. That's great. I mean, that's what your dad said last night. But, so like your parents last night, they were analyzing the game. He's watching the pitches come in on the phone and everything. But So then I got to sneak down a little bit closer. Of course, you got great seats for us right up there close under the balcony we could watch. But then I went down there closer to the field a little bit and got to watch you a little bit more last night and see what you were doing. So I was a little disappointed. I mean, I thought you were going to be coaching. You were like reading the newspaper. <laughs> We've got a big analytics team here. And lucky enough, they're very good at what they do. So one of my responsibilities in the game is our outfield defensive placement. So basically for every hitter that comes up, we've got a list of every ball they've hit at the major league level and what exit velocity comes off the launch angle and the direction the ball goes. And so using that information that we have, we've got a calculation of where we think the highest percentage of where we start and knowing that the hang time of the ball and things like that. So I'm lucky that we've got a very good analytics team. One of our head guys used to work in the military and his job was to kind of do the calculations on missiles and bombs and things like that. So I'm lucky enough to be able to pick his mind. And obviously he runs the numbers and we talk about certain situations, but I guess what I'm trying to get to is the end of the day, it's my job to kind of get our outfielders in a certain spot with the greatest percentage of catching a ball or making an out. Yeah. So Jace is in the dugout, of course, watching, and he's got, at the end of the dugout, he's got some papers he's looking through that tells him some of that information, and then you're giving hand signals to the outfielders telling them where to go or which position you want them to be in. So That's exactly right. A lot of stuff going on down there. Yeah, there's a lot of things within the game that a lot of people probably don't know, and it's probably changed over the last six, seven, eight years. It's continuing to grow, probably like anything, right? It's the use of technology, the use of data, and all those things just continue to grow. So being able to 
able to use some of those things into our game has been a true blessing. You were crouching down a lot, mostly because you're watching the outfield instead of the ball. So you're kind of behind that fence or is that yeah. just kind of something that you do anyway because you're thinking too much? I do both. A, I don't want to get hit with a line drive if I'm not paying attention to the hitter and I'm watching the outfield. And then the reality is, is I've got like five or six different kind of spots or standings or locations that I go to. And depending on if we're struggling or if we're doing well, I try to, I guess it's just more superstition than anything. That stuff doesn't go away, <laughs> does it? No, I think that'll always be a part of sports and things like that. Yeah, I was wondering when I got to see the clubhouse tonight or the, yeah, the clubhouse and the locker room and all that today is if there's going to be Joe Boo and <laughs> some of those kind of things. I didn't know what a major league clubhouse would really look like, but it's pretty cool stuff. So one thing that I noticed last night, it's just interesting, but there was a few times, of course, where a hit would happen or whatever would happen, and the whole place standing up, cheering, yelling, and even half the guys in the dugout. But you were still crouched down, still watching, still zoned in on what's going on. Rather than just aimlessly cheering, you were actually like paying attention to what might happen next so you could kind of have the next play in place or whatever was going on. That's uh, That's got to be a whole different part of the game, being able to just focus in on what's happening. Of course, you're enjoying the game but maybe on a whole level at the end of the game rather than play by play. You're enjoying it, but you're watching every little play and you're actually looking at it from a, a logical standpoint rather than just excitement standpoint. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's something that I've certainly like had to work with and learn, understand it's like an emotional game and there's so many ups and downs to the roller coaster like part of the game. So being able to want to celebrate, but we've got to be ready for the next pitch and like doing that. So I think that's something I'm an emotional person anyway. So that's something I'm constantly working on is trying to be more in the middle, even keel. And so when we get like moments, whether we're doing well or whatever, is to be ready for like the next pitch. And our goal is to celebrate at the end of the game. So we we're fortunate enough to be able to do that last night. Yeah, that's right. So kind of knocking it back over to horses here for just a second. That's something that I'm constantly helping people with in the horse deal. So, of course, you're talking about a game and having an emotional attachment to it. We're talking about this live animal for a minute. Somebody's riding, for example. They reach down, they get this done, the horse does what they want. Oh, good job. And they want to let go of the reins, pet the horse, and then right there, boom, something else happens that they weren't ready for because they were celebrating what just happened rather than preparing for what's about to happen. No doubt. No doubt. It's probably a lesson just like the horses. I've learned the hard way as well. Taking a moment to celebrate whatever happens, and then all of a sudden you're you're not prepared for the next move to come. So I can totally relate to that. And that's just life in general, I think, some of those type of things. And Yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff where, whether you're a baseball expert, whether you're working with horses, there's little things that you can kind of learn about that trade or that thing that you're in, and then you can take that out and say, hey, that works just for life in general. No doubt. And that's what like I've pulled out of this game. I think I told you before we started, I've kind of like started some different journeys in my life or whatever. And about nine, 10 weeks ago, I started a journey with our head strength coach, Jose Vasquez. And I made a decision about six months ago. I kept hearing the phrase like, be comfortable being uncomfortable. That makes perfect sense. And then like I started looking at like my own life. I'm not doing that. And so there have been things that have come up. I'll give you an example. I've always wanted to start some type of training like in jiu-jitsu. And so I've had it in my mind for seven, eight years, haven't done it, haven't done it. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing it. So our head strength coach, Jose Vasquez, is a black belt, and he's taken me under his wing. We're training. And so I'm learning through a black belt, and I'm learning, unfortunately— 
I guess it's a part of growth. I'm learning the hard way. And so I have no, as you know, I have no high school wrestling background or whatever. I'm starting completely clean. So my left hand's on the mat there. All of a sudden, I'm in a triangle. I'm in an arm bar. It's like, okay, don't put your hand there. So next time we roll, okay, I make another mistake. But I'm kind of learning that process. But it's just an understanding of, I think like when I was younger, probably in my maybe mid to low 20s, I'd be like very frustrated with the process. But now I understand that it's only like a part of growth. You learn from it, you move on. And that's what I've kind of taken out of the jiu-jitsu so far. So you're looking to go to the MMA? You're going to the UFC? What's your goals here? No, I'm looking to, A, not get injured, but I'm looking for like challenges. And it's not only is it like a physical challenge, it's an unbelievable mental challenge. It takes like a ton of discipline. It takes a ton of like sacrifice, which we're rolling for about an hour and a half. Our games here don't start at seven o'clock. So there is some downtime. So we choose to get here 1030 in the morning. We'll roll from 1030 to 12. I'm usually the majority of the time getting my butt kicked, which is very, very humbling. But I want to get nothing out of it, but just kind of the journey that it takes me on. Yeah. That's super important, whatever people are. I mean, of course, we've all heard those type of quotes, life's a journey, not a destination. But it truly, and, and what I do for my living, it truly is about focusing on that journey rather than the end goal necessarily for what you're doing with horses or, or some of the other things that I've I've been a part of. So that's cool. I know it's probably just going to help. I mean, you're in great shape. and That's just helping that too, right? It just helps you kind of stay healthy and stay active in some of those things. Yeah. And you know, what helps is you like connecting with people, right? Or connecting with horses and things like that. And I've really started to embrace that. And this off season, I stay down here. I work out with our players. We had one player in particular that he needed to lose some weight. He needed to get a step faster. He needed to get more flexible. And so I started talking to him about some of the things that he has to do. And I quickly realized after that talk, I'm not doing these things. How can I tell him to do something that I'm not doing? So after two and a half, three months of working with him, I probably learned more from him than he learned from me on this. But I kind of changed my diet. I changed my workouts. I changed kind of everything. Not that I was in a bad routine, but I was probably in a rut on just a regular routine. So I totally kind of flipped the script and just started doing, basically I'm doing like something every day that sucks, whether that's, I'll give you an example. Like yesterday, the challenge of the day was I hate cold water. I hate it. So I said, I'm going to spend 20 minutes in the cold tub up to my neck. It was something I didn't want to do, but it was something that sucked and I'd do it every day. So look on the schedule, I kind of map it out. And so trying to challenge things like that in my life on a daily basis right now, it's been challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good. Just a lot of that mental work. It's good stuff. So here's a question for you. How come the coaches don't stay in the coach's box next to the first (laughs) base and third base? What's the deal with that? They got them drawn out on the field, and they're never inside of them. It's almost like a zone, like don't enter, right? Yeah, it's almost like when you're kids, like there's crocodiles here. You can't go there, like on yeah. the couch. You know, what's the deal? I think the reality is, is that in the box is probably the most dangerous place to be. So with like a lot of the power hitters and how hard they hit the ball, I know if I'm coaching the third base box or the first base box and Joey Gallo's hitting, like I'm going to be as far away as I can. So I think like that's what happens most of the time. These guys are moving to get out of kind of like the danger zone. But baseball really hadn't changed their rules. They have the box there, but fortunately enough, the umpires 
don't enforce it because I think they understand the safety of the coach is the most important. Yeah, that kind of helps out. So tell us about some of the, maybe I could just say in your opinion, as far as people that you knew of, even before you're around, but then people maybe you've got to meet or work with, but who's some of the best baseball players that there's been out there in the history of baseball? So we just got done playing the Angels and zero disrespect to anyone that's played the game before. But after watching Mike Trout for years of playing, I'm convinced he may be the best player ever to play the game. When I stand down the first baseline, obviously he, he's a great hitter. He doesn't chase outside the zone. He hits the ball hard. But he's the only player in the league when he runs down the line. It almost sounds like a horse. I mean, you can hear the ground as his feet hit. That's how much power he's generating from the ground. There's so many good players out there today. I think like Mike Trout is certainly like at the top. We're watching another one. He didn't play last night, but he had been playing. Look at kind of the history of baseball. Albert Pujols, who is Dominican, but has some Kansas City ties like as well. There's just a lot of good young baseball players out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you've got to kind of be around a lot of those guys and get to know them, and that's a pretty cool thing. I know when I was a kid, getting to meet a couple of the athletes as they come to town was kind of a big deal. Of course, I was named after Cal Ripken in a way. I mean, my parents, I think they were pregnant with her mom was pregnant with me whenever they went to watch the Royals, and they were playing in Baltimore, and he came through, and I think it was his rookie year. And there was a story about basically, you know, he was out there when my dad said, I like this guy. He's warming up hard. Looks like he's going to be a good player and he's having a good season. And, you know. Your dad should have been a scout. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> I think he's going to be good. And mom says, yeah, I like that name. Let's do that. So anyway, that's where it came. But wasn't too long after that, I got to meet Bo Jackson, of course, back then, some of the Royals and George Brett and some of those type of guys. So that's a big deal for kids getting to meet athletes and things like that. People that they see on TV, they look up to. But every now and then, there's the other side of that, too, where one of those big athletes, big famous celebrities, goes out and does something stupid. And then you have these parents going, oh, you know, that player was should have been a better role model or blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I feel like, well, maybe it was our fault as kids or parents. Of course, I'm not a parent, but as the society of fans to maybe not idolize quite so much either, right? Maybe that's the goal. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And then today as well with social media and everything going on, I feel like Maybe the fan-player interaction is probably, I don't know how to say it, but they probably get more more insight to what's going on through like social media and things like that. So I would just say this. My experience has been knowing these guys, working with them, that almost like 98, 99% of the guys are just like phenomenal men. As a coach, you try to teach, you try to bring challenges to them, you try to help them. The reality is, is like I've learned more from the majority of the players than they probably learned from me. I'll never forget, and I hope he doesn't mind me like sharing this story, but 2016, I'm coaching Ian Desmond, and he had always been a shortstop, and we had to teach him how to be an outfielder, and very quickly, because he's a good athlete, because he's a hard worker, and because he's got a ton of want to, he turned himself into an outfielder. But what he was organizing that year in 2016, we were doing a lot of Bible studies and things like that. So when we'd go on the road, he would kind of set everything up. And we would do the Bible study like up in his room, and he challenged all of us. He said that we're going to hold each other accountable. What's one challenge? And I'll never forget this, and this was at the beginning of the year. And Ian was married with three children. I believe it's four now, but at the time it was three. And he wanted me to challenge him on, he goes, hey, my eyes for my wife only. 
And he goes, if you ever see my eyes into the crowd or anything like that, he's like, you need to let me know or whatever through the entire year. Now, look, there's day games, there's sunglasses or whatever. I was trying to like catch him one time looking at like the discipline that he did that year. And for like the listeners that like don't know, Ian Desmond, let's say we would go to New York. He's like very like an attractive guy, very like handsome. He would run out on the field and women are hooting and hollering left and right. And so to watch for 160 some games that year of just his eyes straight forward and down, I was like, my goodness. So overall, I think the majority of the guys are like very good role models and we all have our moments, right? And it's pretty easy to get caught in a down moment. Maybe somebody's got their video out and they're able to video something. And sometimes people video not the entire story, but maybe just a small portion of it and they can spin it and make it look however they want. So there's a lot of traps uh, out there to be set. And hopefully our guys are calm, cool, collective when moments get heated. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. There's a lot of people out there trying to just trying to cause some kind of issue and they get half the story. And that's just part of the deal. I guess part of what we're living in for sure. Kind of nice last night. Get to see a lot of kids out there fighting over the fly balls and you got to see people catch an outfield ball and then they'd throw it up into the crowd and kids. I mean, there's a lot of fun for kids being able to come to the ballpark and watch some of that and be a part of that. It's a fun deal. No doubt. And I hope the game of baseball, I hope it continues to grow and I hope young people enjoy the game. So to see young kids at the game and I think like our players, I think the game in general, major league players do a good job of going out of their way, especially like for kids. Because you look up with like youth sports now, and I've got a seven and a five-year-old, and we're getting into the youth sports and stuff like that. But it's such a challenge. It's like we grew up, we were playing football in the backyard. We were playing basketball. We were always doing activity and things like that. The reality is now that there's the iPad, there's video games, there's the computer. And so I hope we don't lose out on like some of those young people and the fan base. Just the aspiration for young people to be active and whatever it is they do, whether it's sports or whether it's any type of activity, I hope maybe I'm preaching or something like that, but to get them off the iPads and to be out and get active. I think that's good. Of course, whenever you and I first talked a little bit about some of this Christmas, we all kind of got together, a bunch of guys last few months back and got to catch up with you and we were, you were talking about that and youth and your kids and playing sports. And so there's a guy that I had on the podcast a little while back that I really enjoyed getting to talk with him, but that's his whole business today is trying to help youth sports and get people back to doing things and get them. He calls things just getting kids physically literate. And he was just talking about like seven out of 10, I think that's right. Yeah. Seven out of 10 kids that start youth sports will stop youth sports by the time they're 12 or 13. And out of those seven that quit, Five of those will never become physically active again. That's a tough stat right there. And here we are sitting at the major league sports. And, of course, we're talking about those three out of ten that kind of made it. That's what we're dealing with here, what you're dealing with here. But like you just mentioned, just getting kids physically active and whatever it is that they're doing, I think is a, is a big thing for sure. No doubt. Just being out and being passionate and being active like young people, that's like a healthy lifestyle. And why is it they're quitting at whether it's 11, 12, like 13 and – is it the parents? Is it you go to some of these youth sports or youth activities and just some people are just out of their mind. And it's just like, 
your kid didn't have to be an all-star. Didn't have, like, go support them. Go have fun. Go play. Go in the backyard. Play catch with them. Go shoot with them. Go whatever it is. So I'm afraid to break down, like, that statistic more. But but I hope a lot of the reason that they're quitting isn't because of parents just being over the top. But I'm afraid it is. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm afraid that might be a part of it, but I don't know either. I don't know a lot about it. <laughs> But I know that it is good to see kids interested in things like that, for sure. So I know in my work with horses and in my limited coaching career with high school kids and some middle school kids, I coached a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of football, worked with some children in the education system for a little bit. But what I see a lot of, and of course, like I said, and what I do with horses too, is just a lack of focusing on the fundamentals, a lack of focusing on just doing the exact right things rather than relying on a little bit of athletic ability to kind of get by even though you did it wrong, but just focusing on doing that right. And, of course, here we are, like I said, I mean, here in the major leagues, talking about everybody was one of those phenomenal athletes that's here. But I think you and I talked a little bit about that back in December. So Yeah, you can't skip steps. And when you do, you may get by for a little bit, but at some point, like, that step skipped is going to be exposed. So I think like in general, certainly like in the game of baseball, it's a game of fundamentals. It's no matter how much technology, no matter how much analytics, no matter how much data comes out, they're all tools in like helping. But at the end of the day, it's about throwing the ball over the plate. It's about hitting the ball. It's about catching a ball. And it's about playing hard and hustling. Those are the fundamentals. And that part, no matter how much the game changes – those fundamentals will never change. So the importance of catching the ball, throwing the ball where you want, making good decisions, those things, that's the fundamental part that if you can't do those things, ultimately, like more than likely, you can't play at the top level. Yeah, that just seems to be a pretty common, kind of a commonality within everybody who's that successful. Give me just a, you probably don't have the stat in your pocket here, but an idea on how many of the players on your team here specialized in one sport when they were high school or younger, do you think? Yeah, I would say it's very few. Even I talked to like our Dominican kids quite a bit. Nomar Mazzara, who got to the major leagues at the age of 20, he didn't start playing baseball until later. He was a basketball player, kind of growing up through like youth sports. But the guy that threw last night, Lance Lynn, football player, I believe wrestled a little bit. I can't think of anybody except maybe a pitcher or two that only played baseball. And even like today, when we warm up before game, the guys will go out, they'll do some cardio. On the days they don't want to run, they play soccer. They play four-on-four soccer, and they throw the football around. They run fly patterns for their conditioning. Somebody throws the ball about 40 yards, they run, go get it. Those are what they do for their sprints. So I would say there's very like small group or percentage that only played baseball. I think that's really cool to understand. Of course, I know you've always kind of been that way. We talked already about all the sports you did growing up, but there is a real big push, it seems like, of that early specialization with some of these kids. And I know that's not good for the kids. And we talked about that with John O'Sullivan that we had on the podcast a little while ago. And I know that it happens a lot in the equine industry and people are pushing horses to do one specific thing. And then pretty soon, they injure themselves more and they have more burnout and they have more mental issues just because of that rather than just being well-rounded all around physically where you can kind of do whatever comes up. Yeah. I guess to that point, you wanted like maybe some stats and Sports Illustrated showed they basically broke down all the pitchers and like where they come from in Major League Baseball. And so they basically took the United States 
took a line right between the middle, so like Kansas City, and they basically just divided between like the north and south. That was a couple hundred years ago they did something like that too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not like a big supporter of that. (laughs) But with that being said, the first thing I would think is the majority of major league pitchers come from the south where it's warm and they can play year-round. And the study found that the majority of the pitchers were from the north. And the reason was, I guess the conclusion was, was that is because they couldn't play year round. And because they were doing other activities and because they were getting also proper rest, guys weren't throwing for 10 months a year like they may do in Florida or in Texas or Arizona, for example, like a warm weather deal. And the point was, no, they're playing basketball, they're playing hockey. Yeah. And then they're playing baseball for the three, four months of the season. But the importance of training other body muscles, but more importantly, learning to compete mentally in like other sports, I think it's critical. Yeah, that's really cool. I like hearing those kind of things because I know that overall that's good. I follow your brother on Twitter and I'm always looking at the NFL guys, the first round guys, the guys that ran track or the guys that wrestled or the correlation between NFL linemen and high school wrestling or some type of like wrestling background and things like that. And I think Stephen Neal is one of my favorite stories. I'm, I'm sure I'll botch the story. If it's way off, I'll correct it in the intro or something whenever we get this recorded. But basically, Stephen Neal played different sports throughout high school. Didn't come out for wrestling until he was maybe a junior or senior in high school, but was a good athlete. Played some baseball, some basketball too. And then he decided to wrestle, kind of like my brother, of course. You know, did yeah. a little bit of both. <laughs> Which, by the way, do you think Gabe, I mean, like, would it really have mattered if you had one extra player against Jerron Rush? At Pembroke Kill, that last game. I mean, do, you, <laughs> do you think it would have mattered? No. At the end of the day, they were just too physical. <laughs> they were big. <laughs> anyway, sorry, going back. So my brother Gabe played basketball with Jace quite a bit. And then in high school, my brother went basketball, then wrestling the sophomore year. Then basketball was junior year, and then went back to wrestling. But anyway, you guys had some good teams. So yeah, it was your brother was a freak athlete. High school, at the time, he was like the star running back. And they really didn't let him play defense. Then he goes to Northwest and safety. and But from like speed, power, size, like your brother's a talented dude. Yeah, yeah, I know that's for sure. <laughs> so Stephen Neal, I think came out for junior or senior year of high school, ended up getting like a fourth or fifth place in high school in the state of California, I believe he was from California. And in California, their entire state is one class in right. wrestling, right? So it's, I mean, that's a big, Huge. That's a big deal, right? And then he ended up going wrestling a little bit, won the world title in wrestling, won some world championships there, and then he ended up playing NFL football. It was always a slower progression, didn't overdo one thing, just came out late and just kind of kept moving forward. But he just, they took that size and said, hey, this is what we're looking for. Let's make him into a football player rather than some kid that's been only wanting to do that since he was a little kid. But anyway, yeah, those are kind of some some good stories that are kind of a lot of fun. So one thing I wanted to kind of ask about, the replay and the technology has just totally, I mean, like, so we walk through the clubhouse here, and for those of you guys who are listening, I'll put some pictures of some of this stuff on my website. You guys can see it along with this podcast, but computers and the technology that's a part of the game today is just changing all the time. And it just seems like that's a big part of it. It is. And it's an ever growing part of the game. I think when I started probably playing like in 2003, 
to where it is today, not only the technology, but like the people. There's a lot of Ivy League. There's a lot of like bright minds that are walking around, whether it's on the front office or down here, diving into analytics, diving into analyzing data. And to your point, it's like you go around every room now and there's computers, there's big screen TVs, and there's slow motion cameras. And for a pitcher to use that and break something down and like look where my fingers are when I release the ball, they're on top of the fingers. But on this slider that got hit, I got it to the side. And so I think we're just as an industry starting to figure out how to use that as a coach we are just learning on how to teach off of some of that data and off of that technology. So what's crazy is how fast it's grown the last probably five, six years. But what's even crazier is to think, where's it going to be five years from now? Because the way data technology, I think there's going to be a lot of programs like out there. Somebody's going to come up with something who's like brilliant and have some like really true predictors of, hey, when Lance Lynn faces Mike Trout and he throws the ball here, we've already got a high probability of what he's going to do with that pitch. And so I think that's only going to continue to grow. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I can only imagine the guys that invented this game (laughs) watching it today, right, and seeing everything that happens. I hope they're not turning in their grave. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think there'd be a lot of proud moments, but I think it's just like everything today. I mean, you know, things just change as, as life goes on, right? And technology has sure, sure changed a lot of stuff, so. I heard there's a chance you guys might be getting Rick Vaughn. Is that the case? Well, we're waiting for his court case to... <laughs> waiting for the court case to settle. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens after <laughs> that. Well, Jace, I'll tell you what, man. I think we're kind of wrapped up here. I really appreciate your time. And tell me one last thing before we go. I know that you're... Your wife's into horses. I know you guys have some horses. I know I've, I've ridden with her a little bit growing up, way back. I haven't seen them for a long time, but tell me a little bit about your place there. Yeah. So a couple years ago, we ended up buying my wife's grandma's kind of small farm like in Smithville. And so I think it's 35, 36 acres. And obviously I'm not there to mow a lot. So it's got a couple pastures to it. And my father-in-law kind of helps out around the house, obviously, like when I'm not there taking up. But right now we're uh, currently, he has, uh, I believe it's nine head of cattle on there. And we get as many cattle as friends and family want for beef. So that's what we're doing with uh, 35 acres. And he sold his two horses, oh shoot, it's probably been seven, eight years ago. And so we haven't had any horses on there. But when we first started dating, I used to go over and and we would always ride together. And it's always a blast. And I probably haven't been on a horse probably in eight or nine years since he sold the two horses to a family friend. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if you guys still had some horses or not. I know, uh, of course, my cousin Casey and Callie were always good friends growing up. And I used to go over there a little bit and they had horses. Yep. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, a lot of old family ties I haven't been able to catch up with, but it's really good. It's really good to see you out here doing what you're doing. And I'm proud of you for sticking with your dream and doing what you're doing, man. I'm just amazed at you, like traveling around, doing what you're doing and getting to connect with people and make a difference. And I find like your story just completely like fascinating, just picking up and going and getting to see different parts of the world and getting to meet different people. It's a lot of fun. Isn't it fun? Just me just going new places. I know you've been a lot of places too. It's just, it's just a blast going new places and meeting new people and just seeing how other people live. The whole key is like the challenge to slow down and like a world where everything's like moving fast. 
when you take time to breathe, to observe, to watch and like pay attention, it's truly like a unique experience. And what's so cool about your deal, like not many people are doing it. And I just think it's like so unique and like fascinating. Well, I appreciate the support. Appreciate you having me up for a game and showing me the place and we'll do it again sometime. We got to do it again, especially since you're undefeated. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. All right, buddy. If you're enjoying the Horses and Life podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can obviously tell people about it. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it through social media or any other means. You can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Enjoy each day.